You ready? Yep. How about you? Yep. Start it up. Podcasting from beautiful East Tennessee and brought to you by BRV Studios, this is Have You Heard, our show that brings up random news and crazy events and a lot of other topics you've probably never heard of. For instance, have you heard about the Polish beer company that's signature ingredient is underwear models? Or what about the world of returns and what a startup is doing about it? And nothing says the big red van like a shark heist in San Antonio. We have this and a whole lot more. Here is episode 53 from the big red van. Here we are, everybody. Episode 53, H-Y-H. And it's Wade and Hayden with you. We got some new stories, and this is going to be some fun. Uh, normally, what we have been doing lately, uh, I guess I'm, I'm so in such a hurry to get started. How are you, Hayden? I'm fantastic. You ready to go? Oh, always. You got anything good for me tonight? Oh, I'm ready to impress tonight. Okay, well, let's... I guess I've got, a, I've got at least one here that I'm just, it's, it's incredible. So incredible. Be, pre- be prepared. I am. All I'll- right. I'm ready for incredible. I'll take incredible any any week you want to do that. So <laughs> yeah. Normally I come in here and I give you a choice to pick from three for our lead in talk, but you said you had one for sure you want to talk about. Uh but I get to choose. So go through a list of three and we'll see if I pick it for you. Alright, alright, alright. So I saw a funny video about a uh, beer run with a gator. Okay. Beer run with a gator. A guy who got caught taking upskirt pictures. Oh, no. This one I, I kind of was leaning towards, and but you still get to pick. But remember how we talked about Maduro and the um, Petro coins? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Venezuela, right? The Venezuelan <laughs> Petro coins. You and your headband. There's some follow-up. Okay. <laughs> so... There you are, sir. You your headband was pro Maduro. Pro, if, if yeah, we did use correctly. that joke. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm gonna go with Maduro. All right, I, I have I'm to. Glad like you, I have I'm, to. I'm so glad you chose that okay. one. No peer pressure involved. Uh, so I just that you, we were always trying to figure out what's our lead in, uh, for every episode, and I just saw this randomly, and I just busted out laughing. But uh, so Maduro, right? When we talked about him last. He was trying to boost Venezuela's economy, which is in ruins, and in, at this point, now that we're talking about it, total bankruptcy. Yeah. So he uh, he's trying to boost the economy. Newsflash, Petrocoin did not work out. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we never followed up to that, but it did not work out. All right. Um, surprise, so, surprise. So, of course, people aren't too happy with Maduro right now, right? At least as the Venezuelans go. You know, people are hungry and... Nobody can get anything they need. Their Petro's not even any good Petro's anymore. no good. Can't even sell them. Right. How am I supposed to cash in on my Petro? Sure. So, uh, they somebody tried to kill him. Okay. And... As, uh, as you know, people do with dictators. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, in a the most awesome and interesting way, this is why I wanted to talk about it. So, he was making a public speech... Wearing. Did I call him a dictator? Is he a dictator? I mean, does he's he fall a, into that class? He's a ultra ultra socialist left, and it's moved definitely into dictator territory. That's typically like there's the two ends sure of the spectrum that. on the on the dictators. They usually end in the same place, but get there in two different directions for sure. 
There's either the ultra. I'm just glad we see eye to yeah, eye yeah. when I say, okay, <clears throat> thank you for putting it. <laughs> but definition. yeah, totally, he's totally a dictator. Thanks, man. <clears throat> uh, but uh, they tried to kill him. He was making a public speech trying to rouse support from the country like guys it's not so bad i'm you know i'm still pretty awesome come on guys come be pro maduro yeah let's all be pro maduro again yep, of course you know what about the petro coin let's see how it plays out i mean just buy one so he uh he's making this speech and he's like got his big like military sash on too like he looks like a dictator you yeah. know like he just has that look that's about one it. of the requirements it's one of the requirements of course is, is military garb and medals on mm-hmm. you but he uh, he's up there making his speech. These guys bring in via drones bombs, bombs, bombs attached to drones, six of them, and they fly them in and try and get them to the stage where he's at and detonate them to kill him with bombs. What are these like Israeli special agents? <laughs> no, just like pissed off citizens that are just trying to with end drone it bombs with drone bombs. <laughs> and I mean they hurt. Uh, I think six or seven people didn't kill anyone. No way. So they weren't as effective as they should have been, I guess you sh- you could say. But It's a drone bomb. <clears throat> and uh, you get what you, you can get, you know? I mean, I guess they can only carry so much weight. So yeah. I think that's more of it. Like, it's not like you can put a 20-pound, you know, explosive on a on a little tiny drone. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, dude, so they, they try and blow him up. And, of course, his, like, secret service people, whatever you want to call them. They're like, ha, that was our Maduro double. They, they throw up a bunch of, like, blankets <laughs> trying to cover his body, you know, cover him from getting hurt and rushing him off the stage. And, of course, his speech is over and it's all done. But, but yeah, dude, with freaking drones and bombs. So Maduro's unhurt? Yeah, he's fine. Okay. But, you know, he's uh, technically Venezuela's democratic in their in their socialism so he probably is not going to get reelected if they don't kill him before that happens yeah somebody's going to come after him i mean they're they're coming with drone bombs yeah so you know <laughs> i just like, thought that was great you know like those poison darts out of blow 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 darts those are next. oh yeah that's the oh, next god step. if that's how he goes down because somebody's <laughs> like <laughs> someone's coming with a tranquilizer Ow! <laughs> <laughs> perfect time for that button perfect so that's good man i like i like i don't i think i'm not so pro i know i'm rethinking my pro maduro status yeah you haven't worn that headband since i think it was uh (laughs) your stance on the on the petro so anyway you ready to get going oh let's do it all right everybody have you heard so uh this story takes place in beirut lebanon i love beirut so a uh, a homeless woman, unfortunately, was found dead. None of the articles about it describe specifically where, but I'm going to imagine just probably wherever she was Jeez, sleeping. Jeez, nice start. Wherever she was sleeping, but okay. she's dead. Okay. <clears throat> Her name was uh, Fatima Othman, and she was 52 years old when she died. Did you know died. Fatima is like one of the most popular names in that part of the world? No. It is. It's like uh, Susan. It's also... Fat is the first. Three I first. know. That's why I, why I uh, thought it was pretty interesting. I, first girl named Fatima that I ever met was my freshman year of college. I got out of small town Kansas. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but she uh, she did die of natural causes before your concerns start to rise. I'm pretty sure they listed it as a heart attack. So just could imagine an old 52 year old homeless lady living on the street. Had a heart attack and nursing. Here sleeping. you go again. You know. Old with fifty two year olds. She this, uh, what is this? What are you what are you, you ageist? <laughs> Maybe That's a little twice. So 
she was just basically known by the neighborhood to just sit on the street and beg for money. Um, the only other information anyone in town had on this woman was that she pretty semi-frequently rented a car from the local rental agency. She had enough money to rent a car? Yeah, I guess I guess that was kind of what... I, that's what I took it as, is like, you know, she would use it since she didn't have a home to like sleep in or get around town and get Hell, things done. Hell, you get a car for 28 bucks a day. Exactly. You know, know? That's cheaper than a hotel room. A lot cheaper than a hotel room, yeah. and it'll take you around town. Exactly. So that that's probably why. But everyone knew her as that lady. So okay. so now for the fun stuff. For the extra twelve dollars you can get the insurance and piss <laughs> in that thing. I mean, you can use it as your bathroom too. Oh my gosh. Extra twelve bucks. Forty dollars. That's it. Yeah, man. You'll never get to rent a car from I, them again. I but... am never getting a hotel room ever again if I'm on the <laughs> lamb. Um so n- now for the crazy part of the story. So on her person when she was found she had five million Lebanese pounds, which, before you freak out, that's only three thousand U.S. dollars. But she had three thousand dollars in cash on her. She's saving just, it up for a future car rental, per, you know, car rentals. That's just the start of this. You know, three thousand dollars—that sounds like a lot of money and all that for a homeless person, you know, you whatever, or especially for a street beggar. But uh, that's when they discovered the second thing. So once they made a solid ID on Miss Fatima, they soon discovered that she had a little bit more money than that. Turns out the street beggar had savings a savings account with 1.7 billion Lebanese pounds or 1.2 million U.S. dollars. Whoa. So she was a street beggar that had a savings account that she just put all of the money that she would beg into and had been doing it that way for 25 plus years. And just slowly racked up money. I guess I almost think she was, she has, it would seem that she has something wrong with her in the sense that she doesn't want to, you know, like hoarders can't throw anything away. Um, there's pl- plenty of people out there that can't spend their money. You know what I mean? Like, that's why she's homeless because she just k- refuses to spend money on <laughs> Oh, you on mean a, can't uh, because they won't? Right. Like, can't, I, I, I'm fine living on the street. I don't want to spend my money. You so, know what I mean, like, I wonder if she's like in that kind of mode in her head. Man, I've heard stories like this before, but never to this extreme, <clears throat> yeah. to where it was one point two million dollars in the bank. Yeah, I remember when I was going to school at UT, there was a story of a guy that I bumped into multiple times in downtown Knoxville, and some of the older people listening that uh, I say older, say in their thirties, that went to UT that were downtown drinking anytime, say around one or two a.m. Probably saw this guy I'm talking about. The uh, Beacon did a story about him where he made like $75,000 a year being a homeless man. Oh, yeah. And it was in downtown Knoxville. So I, I can imagine, you know, someone that does it for a living, traveling or whatever, and then only spends their money on a car. Doesn't it for I've 25 seen, uh, years? Uh, there was a documentary, and I don't remember where I saw it, but it, it was basically following and busting these kinds of people that you're that you're talking about where they i saw one where a guy drove a porsche yeah i'm not talking about those kinds of people this guy was more like your lady where she he just didn't couldn't spend the money didn't spend the money Mm -hmm. you know either that or he spent what he did spend on his booze and right his his party but there's people out there that fake being homeless absolutely they do and that's their job every day like they live in a nice apartment there's a special place in hell reserved for those people yeah and they Pay for all of it by sitting on the street and, like, dirtying up their face. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I, it's funny, actually nice twist to all of this topic. I saw a guy that had lost his job, 
and was homeless, dressed up in a shirt and tie, and brought a sign out there. But he brought brought with him a bunch of resumes. And he said, I don't need any money, but please take one of my resumes. And he ended up getting a job later that afternoon. Oh, there you go. That's a smart way of doing it. I thought that was pretty sweet. There you go. That's pretty cool, huh? Everybody, have you heard? So, man, you like going to concerts and football games and stuff, right? Love it. I'm not huge on crowds, don't get me wrong, but you got to get over that for certain certain things. So for certain games, you'll go to Neyland Packed House. Oh, yeah. And 102455 is I'll no go, joke. You know. Oh, yeah. If that place is full on a big game, uh-huh. it's insane. That's no joke. But what what would you say is a few of the more frustrating things about being at those types of events? Uh, oh, wh- where do I start? Um, so first of all, idiots. <laughs> people in general. Yeah, people. Um, people don't know what a walkway is. People don't know to not stop walking in the middle of a walkway. That gets me boiling everywhere I go. Like you're at a and dance- it gets worse with devices now. Oh gosh! Like you're at a theme park or wherever that there's lots of people, and you know there's the walkway, and you most people treat it like it's the road, right side, you know all that sort of stuff, and you go. If you need to stop, you get the f out of the way. Those rules apply. Yeah. Just like on the road. Yes. And people, those people that are in a big group of people that just stop right in the middle of the path while there's a thousand people trying to walk, I just want to scream at them. You like, should be able to kick them and, or like, like run into the back of their Achilles. Yeah. Just like, you know, with the, your toe. But just that, toe that's, them in the back of the That's a big heel. one. That's a big one. <laughs> at Neyland specifically, I'm not a huge fan of the bathrooms there. <laughs> like just the giant trough from end to end. You know, trough bathrooms aren't my favorite. They've redid a bunch of those, though. And put they a still bunch got, of individuals. Yeah, well, I know, I know. But there's still the, the main trough one style on the mid-deck there. You're not a fan of trough style? I at don't a, know. I just, at a football game, Not when like. it's crowded. Not mm. when it's like shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of motherfuckers. We're just all peeing in the same bucket. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just... I can I'll do tell you this: that. There's a lot less piss on the floor in trough style. That's probably very true. A lot less piss on the floor. <laughs> but <clears throat> so you didn't touch on this, but we've talked about the fast advances in technology that now allow us to unlock our phones by looking at them, oh, or yeah. that we can walk in and out of Amazon stores having made a purchase but never went to a register, you know, and talked with no one. But in terms of our wallets, or lack thereof, I should say, to be more accurate. Technologies are rapidly approaching to a future with walletless stadiums. So a company called Clear, which is currently active in 38 airports and stadiums nationwide, has been able to make the getting of concessions by fans as easy as lifting your finger. All right. <clears throat> They've successfully created software that can store personal and financial data for someone with their fingerprint. So this has been taken to the top of the Washington state courts to debate the amount of information that is allowed to be processed by the authorization of a fingerprint. And it's been doubled down on as our future. So you can go online to their website, register all of your personal information, including banking info, and would also have to get your finger scanned, of course. So I mentioned how it's currently in use in some airports and stadiums. But all the recent rulings in Washington State have allowed Clear to partner with three major sport teams uh, in the Seattle area. The Seahawks, the Mariners, and the Seattle Sounders, the soccer team. Now, that's like uh, hospitals already use that. Yeah. Like the fingerprint, like ID, like where... A lot of places do one or the other. You can pay with it, 
or you can ID with it. Mm -hmm. But this is this clear company. I don't know if they have a patent on it or if they're just the first to successfully merge the two uh, types of software where you can use it for age verification and for payments. Hmm. So a 2011 study found that around 48% of fans consumed alcohol at sporting events. And I would say that's probably a little low. That's (laughs) That's just the people being honest. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and 100% of those fans just wanted an easier way to get their next drink. Mm -hmm. That was ultimately what my next question, what my question to you at the lead in was about was hopefully hoping you were going to say something about getting a drink yeah, and I then just, getting another drink and then getting a third drink. You know? Except that Neyland doesn't sell alcohol, and so I, that's never an issue at Neyland. That's but, why I said concerts yeah. as well. I was yeah. trying to be a non-leading attorney, you, but also It would be you. pretty... So are you saying that, I, as in if I go to the bar to get a drink, I just walk up and put my finger down and it says, thank you? Like, you are set up with this system period right that's what like, i mean it's like, like kind of like say would say an app on your phone or whatever and this uh business that you go to also has that app quote unquote on they, this they offer this service mm-hmm. and you're signed up with they've it. just got a fingerprint scanner they have that a fingerprint everything. scanner so when the beer vendor is coming up to you at your seat all he hands you is your the fingerprint scanner you touch your fingerprint on it and boom and boom they, for you they for you getting into the stadium you just touch your fingerprint on the scanner, and they That's can verify legit. that it's you. Like you and I talked about your. You would uh, think even the same thing with like facial recognition, like well, you like talked about the, where you just look at a camera, and then the gate lets you in. Think about the cruise thing you talked about, about how they scan that thing, and your face pops up, and mm-hmm. they verify that all that information on you. Same is, thing is also, but it's with your fingerprint. And this this place, they are literally banking. The people that are investing big money on this are banking on all stadiums by next year having this. That's how quickly this is going to take off in Seattle and all of the other places because some places have the age verification where you can verify how old you are. Some places have you be able to pay with your fingerprint, a la Apple Pay and all that. Mm -hmm. But this is the first software that links it with venues to be able to verify your age and pay, a la buy alcohol, which is a big, big, big thing about this. Yeah, that's crazy. And nobody can fake. You know what I mean? Right. You can't. Unless they you passed off with the fake in the beginning, but I feel like there's probably going to be some. It'll be a more in depth ID check than just. Yeah, this is me. <laughs> yeah, I tried looking. Go ahead, into put it a me in as twenty one in there. Yeah, you know how cool is that? That's pretty cool stuff. I'm it's down with that. Wallet. I like. You, they want you to walk in there without any wallet. One for safety. I mean, think mm-hmm. about it. You don't have your wallet. You don't have to be fear of getting beat up and anything taken from you. Yeah, nothing stolen. Whatever. So if all of your buying power is in your fingerprint you know I oh guess. yeah the only thing they can do is just murder you and cut off your hand you know <laughs> you know i mean or i guess they could break your finger off <laughs> so uh anyway it's uh time for our first break i'm going potty you want home a dick Hey, how's it going, Big Red Van listeners? Uh, my name is Reese Kitts. I'm Garrett Faust. And uh, we're, we're a part of a little podcast called Decent at Best. And what Decent at Best is, is we're a podcast where we ask you guys to send us in questions at our at our email called uh, decentatbestshow at gmail.com. And whatever question you want to ask, you send it in to us, and we'll answer it live on air. And we will answer them with answers that aren't great. We don't promise they'll be good. They probably won't be bad. They'll probably be around Decent at Best. Decent at Best pretty much sums up our show. 
we don't Google anything. Everything is all off the top. Off the, off the top of our head. So everything we answer is going to be completely first first impression, word association. So tune in to, the, to our episodes, and we appreciate it. See you guys there. Thank you. Everybody, have you heard... So, you know, I uh, I like beer, Wade, and uh, I'd say our listeners would be aware of that as well, would you say? I would like to think that. All right, of course. I mean, we've, we if did an episode. If they've been paying of- any attention at all, we did an episode about brewing beer that involved uh, 99.99% of the information coming from you. And- <laughs> um, well, one of my favorite types of beers, and I don't know if I've necessarily talked about this on the show, are sours or uh, lambic beers. They're... Uh, I think you mentioned that on the beer episode. I Again, might plugging have. our own show, shamelessly. Uh, which was uh, episode 28. Oh, yeah. How to Make Beer. Oh, um, see, here you are at the exact. Van, Van Top. Yeah. Um, Van Top. So, but also, if you listen to that episode, you would know that the fermentation is the main process that turns all those ingredients into beer, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you would also be reminded that there are different yeasts and different uh, types of acids that make the beer ferment in different ways. Yeah, like the barn yeast. Uh, yep, allowing for different kinds of beer. Yeah. Right? All right, you remember all this. Great. I remember the open-air barn yeast. The uh, so sours and lambics, they use lactic acids to give them their sour taste, and uh, it's a lactic acid bacteria. So the stuff that like causes you to have joint pain, the exact same acid that causes your joints to build up? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but uh, a Polish man, with the assistance of the Warsaw Brewery in Poland, made a new, never-before-attempted brew using a different place to obtain his lactic acid. Uh-oh. Not his sore joints. <laughs> no. Okay. Definitely not his sore joints. All right. Um, I'm not going to pronounce this dude's name right, because oh, it's Polish. Were, but I thought you were going to not pronounce the body part right. Wo- wo- Wojtek man? Wojtek man? Sure. Okay. Wojtykman. Uh, Wojtykman. I mean, we're talking a Polish name here, so... Vo- it's v- Wojtykman. Wojtykman. <laughs> um, he found his inspiration, and his idea was to obtain lactic acid bacteria from the vaginas... Oh, my God. ...of smoking hot Polish underwear models. Okay. Um, a promotional video on their website shows a uh, a large brown. Are they hey? Are are they known to have large deposits of lactic acid or something? Uh, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, is that where you go for lactic acid? Um, and this, we just don't know it. Let me uh, let me explain. Because I was thinking a sore major league baseball pitcher's elbow or something like that, <laughs> but you know. Um, so the website for the brewery, they have a promotional video that shows a large brown bottle with a sticker that's being peeled back, and it shows a model in their underwear with her name Pauline written nearby. And the label says, you're drinking the essence of Pauline. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. And when, <laughs> when, I, when I thought that you couldn't say anything grosser, you say that. And oh, dude! Totally the- <laughs> redeem yourself, dude. The descriptions that I'm about to go over, you just just prepare yourself. So, drinking the, the essence of, of Pauline. Pauline, the founder of the company Vorstekman, wherever you want to say it, mm-hmm. described the process um, 
or in, in their promotional video, they described the process in which a gynecologist took uh, smears um, from two, like, their, quote, hot models, Paulina and Monica. Oh, my God. Um, and then they had the lactic acid bacteria isolated in a lab. So it was all done on the level and the correct way to isolate the lact- just the lactic acids from this uh, swab. But the swab still is coming from the vagina of these two models. This is... <laughs> insane yeah (laughs) this is the website describes the process explaining that the secret of the beer lies in her vagina using high-tech microbiological techniques we isolate examine and prepare lactic acid bacteria from the vagina of a unique woman they named this small batch of brew the order of yanni which i think is also hilarious because yanni is that musician i don't know if you ever listened to yanni but yanni's the man yeah, yeah but it's called the order of yanni um and yanni is an ancient sanskrit word for vagina is what yanni means oh my so God. if you want to know a sanskrit middle eastern word for vagina it's yanni yanni sweat yeah <laughs> the marketing camp the main fl- uh phrase of the marketing campaign is taste the essence of the models oh my um, god <laughs> the uh what what where do you buy this stuff uh i'm gonna get there it, it well <laughs> it's um it's very small amounts available and you can only buy it in uh Katowice, poland uh, oh, it just yeah. came out like literally like they two don't weeks regulate ago. these things um well i mean again like i said they they went through all the proper channels of isolating the lactic bacteria and doing it the proper I'm sure, way i'm sure they made proper giner juice <laughs> Um, I'm sure it was distilled and bottled 100% on the level. There's also this also this gem of a quote on the uh, the brewery's website. Imagine the woman of your dreams, oh my God. your object of desire, her <laughs> charm, her sensuality, her passion. Now you can try how she tastes. Oh, my God. Feel her smell <laughs> and hear her voice. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> The whole the whole audience is like <laughs> screaming at the radio. Please stop reading. Please stop reading. I'm, and I'm you just slowly but surely just delivered that one home. I was waiting all day to read this. Oh my god! Um, I already said that it's only available in small amounts um, in, in Poland. In Poland, in this one uh, province, but however. One of the first customers who tasted the beer wasn't really impressed, complaining that there was nothing special about its flavor and it was just expensive. If we get some inquiries for the essence of Pauline, then I am going to be upset. The reviewer went on to say that people are obviously going to try it out of curiosity, but it's obviously not going to be a regular addition to the table for beer lovers. They're not going to be like, oh man, I'm run out of of Yanni, man. We got to go get some more. (laughs) I need some Yanni. Um, How much does a case of Yanni go for? Uh, I think it said it was like five pounds a bottle. So, like, I mean, that's about $6 American. No way! You would think the labor for Pauline... For and... one bottle, though. I mean, it's one beer. You know, it's not like you're... That's still expensive. Yeah, but we're, that's like a high-gravity beer. Yeah, but still expensive compared to... It's like a monk's beer, I guess. To drink in their whatever they want to drink in poland i can't think of any polish beers off the top of my head i can't either but they drink giner juice (laughs) um also of course the uh on their website they reassured their customers that the ladies had been 
totally checked before having the smears and that the scientific process they use to isolate the bacteria removes all potentially unsavory elements. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, this was also not the first attempt uh, Mr. Mann had made in this uh, at this beer he wanted to make. Two years ago, he tried to do it, and his GoFundMe project only got $2,000 of its $150,000 target to get all of this set up and going. However, of course, it still happened because the determined ma- uh, entrepreneur managed to raise the funds through a single private investor who is anonymous. Basically, the rich guy that was like, oh, yeah, make me some beer with Pauline in it. Only if I can do the swamp. You know that that's what it was. <laughs> that was the one condition. I, that's like uh, on the movie Kingpin. Like you're going to make me a beer with her and her vagina in it? Listen, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, here's your $150,000. I'm doing the swab, though. <laughs> I get to do the swap. <laughs> That's like on Kingpin, where Chris Elliott walks up to uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, Randy Quaid, and he's like, I'll give you $1 million for one night with your friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Oh, man. That yeah. is uh, absolutely So if anybody disgusting. out there can get a hold of some of this. <laughs> I can't even describe how that I'm blown away. Is that not just incredible? I uh, have you you being a beer connoisseur. Have you ever heard of vagina beer? No, abs. This is a one of a kind. For and this sure. isn't like do you look it up on Snopes. Like is this? Oh like, yeah, for real? I, I looked it up on a few different. I went to their website. I mean, it's it's there. Wow, I can't. I can't even. You said lactic acid, and the only time I've heard lactic acid is when I've been sore, like after pitching in baseball. <laughs> it's like, why does your elbow and your arm get sore after throwing a lot of pitches? And it's because the lactic acid gets built, gets built up. That's why they have you run a lot as a pitcher mm-hmm. because it gets your blood pumping, gets the acid, you know, not to deposit in your joints. Yeah. It just builds up in the vagina too. Yeah. Lactic acid. I mean, I guess it's just all throughout your body everywhere. I'm not a, a lactic acid expert, but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty sure it is a, uh, in all sorts of parts of your body. Everybody, have you heard? I have nothing to like properly follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're both in the retail world, and we like to talk about some related topics on this show. Topics related to retail, that is. Specifically those targeted towards online shopping trends and sales numbers, right? Remember, we went on a, I went on a kick for a while where I had at least something to say about Amazon, whether it was <laughs> 15 minutes or two minutes, I had something to say about what they were doing or what Walmart was doing or what Google was doing. Yeah. Um, we even went uh, as far in a few episodes last summer as talking about the growing problem of returns in the retail landscape in the stores and online. So keep in mind, surveys show that over 70% of people say they are more likely to shop again at a retailer if they had positive returns experiences. Yeah, would you that, say you're one of those seventy percent? Yeah, yeah. You should go to return something. They treat you like a good customer, and even yeah. though you get one hundred and fifty dollars back and you spend nothing, mm-hmm. yeah. make you want to make you want to shop there again, right? If they're a big, huge dick about it, I'm definitely going to remember that. Of course, you know the bad ones stand out. Of course, of course. So, <clears throat> well, it's no secret that more and more people shop online every year, and again, e-commerce sales were up sixteen percent last year, which is over the twenty percent the year before. A comp on a comp, we like to say, right? You've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. By the same token, though, 10% of all retail sales were returned again last year, a number that has been steady in that range for a few years now. 
but online sales suffer a much higher return rate than brick-and-mortar stores. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% of all online purchases are re- were returned last year. Really? Really. 40 freaking percent. Jeez. So <clears throat> the Commerce Department's figure placed... The Commerce Department uh, placed a figure on the United States e-commerce last year at $553.5 billion. Wow. A company named Optoro, O-P-T-O-R-O, which claims to have the best system to maximize these returned products, estimates the annual market for returns is $380 billion a year. Like for for e-commerce returns. That's just crazy. So Optoro is one of the handful of one of a handful of three of third party software logistics companies working to improve costly returns processes, which they call reverse logistics. So you've seen all the UPS commercials about it's the brown is logistics. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the returns process and then putting it back into the supply chain is known as reverse logistics. After the initial process, the per- putting it back on the shelf, if you will. <clears throat> if after the initial purchase is made. And then once it's returned, the reverse of it and then getting it back to the shelf, I guess, is called reverse logistics. And by using algorithms, data-driven analysis, and what they call multi-channel remarketing, uh, they use that to determine for the companies that they are employed by what is the most cost-effective way to now deal with all the merchandise, whether to reroute it here, reroute it there, uh, sell it third-party, sell it online to individual sellers, bulk sell. Uh, they're connected with a wide range of potential buyers of these items and actively work to generate demand for them. So they like to get the max value with what they call, quote, as minimal touches as necessary. You remember me talking about the 30-second returns that Walmart did last year, mm-hmm. where you walk in, drop the return in a box, scan a QR code, and walk out. And get your money back, put onto a Prime-like account, right? Yeah, back to your your card, I'm sure. Whatever card you have on file. Well, kind of cool side note about this, they have their systems operating at 20 sites in the United States with plans to add 10 more by the end of this year, but they only own one office and two warehouses, this Optoro company. And one of them for testing new technologies is located right here in Tennessee. Hmm. Pretty neat, huh? Yeah. So their bio page of all the VPs and CEO made me want to puke, to be honest with you. (laughs) They're like our age, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. These guys just were like, you know, it's, it's out there. No one can deal with online returns. They're only going to be more and more and more and more every year. And no one knows what to do with them. Co- companies are losing money hand over fist trying to process the amount of items that are returned to them. It's just a huge operating loss that they have to chalk up every year. Mm-hmm. These guys estimated at $380 billion. So they're not obviously the only people there, but there's not a lot of people in that game wow we talked about this a year ago yeah so this company's been around since 2011 and they just got a recent round of funding over a weekend they made like 250 million dollars i want to make 250 million (laughs) to just do to spend it on what getting ready for the holiday season is what they're going to spend all that money on crazy so you're saying like they they're they're thinking of like who can we sell these items to? Not necessarily back to the store that they're going to. Correct. Like, How can the company make the most profit off of this item now? Based off of what the current operating value of this item is. So, like, Because it has all of those values. It knows the item's cost. It knows the item's um, 
suggested price, the selling price, the return value, all of those things so factored into the party, demand. This third party company would then say, We'll go around and pick up all your returns for you at a convenience to your customer and you just pay us this much or we only pay you this much for that item so that they could have their own open box store that they sell their stuff through right at a cheaper price right <clears throat> for some of the product yeah they they have thousands of partners that that it they use to what create it, how, demand what's make for them whatever more money correct what's the cheapest route to profit for either side right because if you think about it we've been told by uh people in the past that we get a quarter for anything that we quote unquote damage out whether it's just missing a button or it's mm-hmm. totally broken and somebody pissed in it, you know, and it's stained and all that. Same same value that we get for each one of those two things. One of those is obviously more valuable than the other. Mm-hmm. So the bad, not uh, uh, fiscally responsible uh, manager is going to damage out the one <laughs> with the broken uh, button as opposed to selling it at a damage discount and getting the maximum money for it. Yeah. It's basically the thought process of what this company's doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of allowing companies to damage, quote-unquote, their, their product out, get a quarter for each item, they are reselling it for them or finding ways to sell it for them at a percentage. Hmm. <clears throat> and they're operating at a huge profit. On a $380 billion market. Market. <laughs> That's crazy. The market that we play around in is like a $50 billion market Wow! of fashion retail. That's nuts. So 300, like eight times that, people buying everything else online and returning it. That's, it's crazy. Online sales have blown my mind for years, and they just double-digit over double-digit gain over double-digit gain. I, I'm, I need to calm down. <laughs> hey, Big Red Band listeners. I'm Levi Johnson brother of Hayden Johnson, who I believe you're listening to right this very second, and I have a podcast about sandwiches with my good friend, Walt Braley, and I will be filling in as interim host while Joe Blackstock is off traveling through time. Yeah, Joe has gone back in time to find the first sandwich, so you can hear about those escapades in the upcoming episodes of SandwichCast. So listen to us, you can find us on iTunes, and you can follow us on Instagram at, at SandwichCastPod. SandwichCast. Sandwich cast. It's in your mouth. Everybody, have you heard? So the uh, San Antonio Aquarium had a uh, shark abduction happen. What? A 16-inch long female horn shark was taking... 16-inch? That's nothing. That's oh, like no. A, it's yeah. a little shark. Okay. We're not, I'm not talking about like they okay. snagged... Like a, the size of that keyboard. Yeah, uh, like a Somebody tank. went running out of there like beer run gator. But uh, it was a little, you know foot and a half long shark according to the aquarium official was it wasn't your run-of-the-mill spur of the moment let's steal a shark kind of thing (laughs) these people really planned it out so the suspects run-of-the-mill spur of the moment he used two of them i like it (laughs) the the suspects staked out the pool for over an hour which was of course observed on the uh, security i guess let me expand on that what is your run-of-the-mill shark abduction? I don't think that's a thing. I mean, <laughs> you just... I, I think the point was, as he was trying to say, that they definitely had planned this out in detail, and this wasn't just they were in the aquarium that day and decided, yo, let's take that shark. You know, yeah, you know? I mean, just like it's an, an impulse take. Right, right. It you was just, not an impulse take. According to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Run-of-the-mill. I love it. A run-of-the-mill shark abduction. 
so uh, like I said, they they staked out the pool for over an hour, and the pool what I'm referring to is one of those uh, where you can put your hands in and potentially touch, like touch the jellyfish, touch the jellyfish, sure. touch the sh- horseshoe crab, of course, you know all that. Well, they have a few of these little sharks in there that you can touch as well, and uh, and they had a twenty dollar bet between the two of them. He's like, I bet I can grab that thing. Uh, no, I don't think there's any gambling involved, but uh, you'll come to learn this guy was into his sharks. Uh-oh. But two men, This is the and like I said, the surveillance caught it all on camera. So two men and a woman. The woman was holding an infant, and they had a baby stroller in tow as well. The trio, they're hanging around the tank where the visitors, like I said, can feed the fish and reach into the water and pet the sharks and the whatever else is in there. And then one of the men quickly bends over, and then yank something up out of the tank. Like, you can see this on the camera. Um, he used a net that he pulled out of his jacket that he had brought from home. Oh, so that's how it wasn't your run-of-the-mill shark abduction. Oh, of course. He was okay. prepared. See, I would think your run-of-the-mill would involve a net, but that's just me. Oh, yeah. Um, but then the man quickly disappears off camera um, and out of, the, or out of the camera's range, and all of his companions follow along with him. And basically what they figured out that had happened is after they grabbed the shark, they entered into like one of those like employee-only doors that goes into a uh, one of the filter rooms, Uh-oh. you know, like the back back functions of the aquarium. So they needed a bucket quickly. So they had a uh, – there was a bucket of bleach solution that they used to clean stuff with, and these people just decide, dump it out. And so they just dump it into the filtration system. So it sent this bleach water running through the uh, the aquarium system. Oh, yeah. No. So of course that's no good for the fish that are in the water. Um, and then of course they uh, they dumped it out, and then they reached in they and scooped just dumped out. it on the floor. I know, right? That's I what mean, I thought what was the insane. Hell? Unless the floor was the drain, they weren't very specific. Okay. Maybe the floor also drained, you know, into the filtration system or something, and that's what they did do. Could be. Maybe. Right. I'm just giving them the benefit I mean, of the doubt I mean, when you're doing a not-your-run-of-the-mill shark abduction, and <laughs> you're going to get blamed for anything you of can't co- get blamed for. Of course. I guess they at least knew that it was, like, cleaner water. That's why they dumped it out, because they knew the shark wouldn't be able to live in it. Even if they poured it on the floor and a splash got into the filtration system and got into the fish water, you could blame them for all of it. Of course. Yeah. So and then they've I guess there is water available around so they scoop up a bucket of water out of one of the tanks, throw the shark in, put it in the baby stroller, cover it up, and scoot their way out of the aquarium. Like they got their baby just under a yeah, uh, under, under a, a blanket. blanket. He's, exactly. he's he's napping. Yep. So of course it doesn't take that much digging and figuring out that the shark A went missing, that they went into that room and figured out they dumped the bleach in there. They were able to shut the pumps down and stuff in enough time to not let it filter through everything so bad, and they were able to mostly clean up the mess and not damage or kill any of the fish, so that was good. But, of course, they figure out these people, who they are, pretty easily. I mean, they've got... Inside job, right? No, wasn't an inside job, but this guy that did do it is like a complete, total shark, fish tank, obsessed person. So when they go to this guy's house to bust him... They open up his garage and his entire like double it's like car Ray, garage. It's like Ray Finkel. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not got like the great white there in there, but uh, no, no, not like Ray Finkel, but like where like Kill Dan and all that. No, he has essentially the inside of his house looks like the aquarium. Like he has so many tanks 
and fish tanks and exotic fish and stuff like it's his it's his obsession and what had happened basically after they interviewed this guy and arrested him and got his statement was basically he was depressed because he had one of those kinds of sharks and he it died and he couldn't get another one and it was the only place he found one was one in your all's little thing and so he decided he wanted to you know, just get take a new, it. Get a new one, and that was the only way he was going to get it was to take it out of your all's uh, tank. So he was motivated by sadness, boohoo. But he had this just elaborate tank system in his house and garage and everything, and all these exotic fish. And he was just uh, an exotic fish collector, and decided there was one that he didn't have and wanted again. So they uh, shark heisted it out of the San Antonio Aquarium. Got caught. Got the shark back. Shark's good. It's fine. It's alive. But, uh, yeah, he got uh, arrested and charged with... Yikes. <laughs> I think if it was felony, maybe because of the value of the shark. Pretty sure it was. It was felony larceny. A plan like that. <laughs> I mean, that that's a sick person, dude. Like, you and I talked about some... Like, who cares that much about a shark? Some scary people. Some people will go to some lengths for some crazy things. And, yeah. uh... That's a scary person right there. Like, I, I'd crossing that person. You and might. And two get... other people that were 100% down to do it with him with a baby in tow. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had a real baby with them, too. So they just held the baby? Yeah. Lady was holding the baby. Other guy was pushing the stroller. And, uh, yeah. I missed that part. And then one dude steals the shark. They all scoot off into the back room, dump the bucket, put the shark in a bucket. See, I thought inside job because they knew where the back room was. They probably had staked out the back room, and you're like, we can get in there. Oh, yeah, that's where those dumbass kids go on break. <laughs> I'm watching them. Smoking their doobies yeah. back there. Those punks. We'll show them. Everybody, have you heard? So, Q2 has come to a close for a lot of businesses around the country. Quarter two? Quarter two. And it comes time for the eagerly anticipated quarterly earnings calls. That take place between company CEOs and primary shareholders, right? All the, all the people that own everything wanting to know how much money they're going to make this year. So attempting to put myself in those shoes really quick, I think I would probably stay up all night studying the information I was going to cover, wouldn't you? I'd say so. Like if you were going to be the one leading one of those calls. Oh, yeah. With millions of billions of dollars, you know, in, in involved in the conversation. I remember the Q1 call that... Um, Bezos said something, and because of what he said, the stock went up like four percent. Because Just, of what he said, yeah. you know, the projections and stuff that he gave, and how accurate he's been. I bet I mean, he's bummed that uh, Amazon came so close to beating Apple for the trillion dollar mark. Oh yeah, but Apple just has so many more, so many more products, and so much more of a. Oh, I know, reach. but they were still about to, about to do it, and then of course Apple still pulled it off there at the end. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the numbers are what they are at this point in terms of you being that CEO on that call. It's not like you can make up what your numbers are. And I'm sure all the people on the other end of the call can read a profit and loss report. But I picture them to be full of answers you know, from the CEO to the shareholders to the questions about the, what the future is for the company. When you expect that would be pretty much the gist of the call. Yeah. This is what we did. This is what we're going to do. Well, behold, two entirely different outcomes from those types of calls from companies that both reported historic level losses. Okay? <laughs> I'll tell you the, the tale of two losses. <laughs> tale of two losses. SpaceX. In Q2 of 2018 alone, 
SpaceX reported a net loss over $720 million. And Hell yeah. <laughs> mostly related to the production of the new Tesla models, which hit several snags in early stages. We've heard about that. We talked about that. Jared, our guest on episode 42, I think it was, came on and uh, said, was it 42? Maybe. We'll go. F- we'll stick behind it. You know? <laughs> 42. Uh, came on and talked about people buying, uh, betting on spacex to fail and betting on elon musk to be a failure and sell your spacex stock right that kind of thing well nearly three quarters of a billion dollars in blown money and the next day the value of the company rose six (laughs) percent they lost a lot less than they projected that they would which reinforced elon's message of being able to be just as efficient as any other car maker and as soon as production can meet demand, Tesla will be raking in money. Is kind of what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So instead of people being scared of it, like the investor Jared talked about, you know, and of course Jared was just sharing one guy's opinion. Yeah, that was a CEO of an investment bank. You know, so we can't say that this guy's entirely stupid. But betting against Elon Musk simply because Tesla wasn't turning a profit, I thought was a weak stance to have. Yeah, and it showed that. I mean, a Q2 loss of three quarters of a billion dollars and people want to invest like 500 million more dollars into the company. I mean, let's get in on that. How I wish. Maybe we'll just get a car out of it. I want a Tesla 3 really bad. Well, SpaceX is currently sitting on over $2.2 billion in cash in the bank for any such quarterly issues down the road. So they lose another three quarters of a million dollars and three quarters of a billion dollars and they don't they still make got it. plenty they got plenty they could do that twice more mm-hmm. almost three times more so uh <clears throat> investors are lined up around the block to get a piece of the three million more shares that were just released to be purchased a couple days ago oh new shares new shares available Price is probably cheap stocks. whenever they split them up like that so you gotta get a few of course i think it's down i think i saw like 160 dropped it to 160 a share because apple stock was around 250 ish i want to say when they hit a trillion we were talking about that in the car they're worth a trillion dollars at like what do you say like ballpark like right two, around 250 dollars 250 dollars a share that means there's four billion shares of apple stock out there yeah four billion shares one for more than half of the planet god that's just insane to think that there's that many pieces of a company out there that you could technically own parts of incredible i have uh 700 million shares of apple like just think about saying that out loud what that how insane that sounds Mm -hmm. but you could yeah only be a only be one majority shareholder exactly you know i think that's just mind-blowing yeah, it is crazy. Well, the second of those earnings calls that I talked about was also talking about huge net losses. But they didn't have such a bright next morning on Wall Street. And MoviePass seems to be all but finished. Mm. We've chronicled the changes made through the past few months from $50 per month to $10 per month to $8 per month to see as many as movies as you want, one per day, right? The fact that they didn't care how many movies you went to as long as they got to get all that precious metadata from you, right? You and all your friends, where you going, what restaurants, when you going, how much you spending, whatever. Oh, yeah. 
So SpaceX is positive two point two billion in cash after losing seven hundred million in the three months, and MoviePass has been negative forty five million dollars for June and July, and is now close to shutting down the studio. <laughs> so, shutting the studio down. So think about that. They they're down forty five million each month, ninety million dollars. Yeah, but they're not sitting on a huge pile of cash. Is their problem? They they're never, taking they're taking out loans left and right. Well, they have a parent com- they have a parent company, Helios and Matheson. I briefly talked about that before when I talked about MoviePass, I think the first time. And they uh their shares have dropped down to less than 50 cents per share and they're at risk of being kicked off the Nasdaq exchange because you can't be on there if your shares are less than a dollar, if your stock is less than a dollar per share for like a certain time period. Oh, wow. So they have like a a couple weeks or something to get their stock price up above a dollar. They're doing like all these measures, like splitting stock, reverse sells, like reverse splits, whatever, to try to get their stock price above a dollar. They oh can't God. do it. Because, so like reducing shares for people, like cutting them in half but doubling their value, kind of right, thing. Right. Right. To allow more shares to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously that wild scramble scramble for moviegoer data wasn't as fruitful as they thought it might be, at least not yet. And they now have been forced to make to make uh, changes to the terms to fifteen dollars per month, and you can only see three movies a month if you subscribe to Movie Pass now. And they do that uh, uh, premium rate for peak movies. If you go to a big movie that a lot of other people are trying to go to at the same time, they'll charge you a premium rate. It can be like nearly the price of the ticket. So like, yeah, here's your movie, but it also costs an extra $8 because this is a premium ticket. For those premieres For and the, things like that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, you can't just get any movie all the time. Now, if it's just like a regular showing that's not packed out, it'll just be free as normal. But if you're trying to go see a movie that's going to sell out or almost sell out, they make you pay a premium charge. Uh, depending on how many people have bought tickets for it already. See, I had to think that one of MoviePass's strategies, Hayden, had to be that they were thinking the studios and the movie theaters were going to work with them. That they had to think that they were either going to get a big enough break on the price of the movie tickets after over time by driving bodies in there or whatever to buy more concessions and whatever it was. But the movie studios and the theaters seemed like they weren't budging. Seemed like they were more threatened by MoviePass, and they just put a line in the sand and said, "We're not going to be partners. We're not going to help you. You're going to pay full price for all of our tickets, mm-hmm. minus five percent, maybe, for bringing them in." And MoviePass just settled for it because they thought the payoff was going to be for the data. And now they make this decision, and in a subscriber-based business like this, you can't easily get away with pulling some stuff like this. Mm-mm. So trying to drastically, so drastically change the terms of their agreement and what they get for their, for what they bought in for, just to keep the lights on, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's it's interesting, and I think a lot of people are dumping Movie Pass. AMC already came out with something, AMC Theaters, where it's like twenty dollars a month, nineteen ninety five a month, and see, I think up to. 10 or I could that could be exaggerated maybe it's like 7 to 10 or something like that but AMC even if it's a a a few that's not terrible a lot of theaters have this and they're gonna have family packs and whatever well even like the just the rewards card programs all those places do actually adds up really quick too if you if you actually 
do it like how often you win or win earn free tickets and free drinks and free popcorn and all that sort of stuff is actually pretty dang fast um something like that mixed with a subscription of free tickets or whatever like you know they're doing what they can i think that it's cool that something that was that disruptive as movie pass like came and went and it was such a hot thing and i described the theaters in the uh, studios as putting a line in the sand and saying that we're we're not going to give in we're not going to you know, yeah, because every other industry had been monetized by subscription, right? I mean, down to movies and TV and I mean music, right. everything's subscription now. Like literally, the industry is owned by subscription now. I don't know, other than people going and buying like vinyls and stuff like that. I bet nobody goes and buys records anymore. Funny you bring that up. So did you know at all? Have you heard about the Drake? Uh, have I shared this stat with you? You mentioned something about how many downloads it was, and it's yeah, a number it, it one. it was number one, and how many downloads and sales of the full album was. You said, what was it, 15,000? 15,000. And that's it. Yeah, when we used to, I mean, God, back in my day, you know, <laughs> when a record was number one, it was like seven million. million copies in a week. Yeah. You know? That's what platinum was. Yeah. Don't even say those words anymore. No. It's just because it streams. You know, yeah. now Drake's album had over 1 billion streams mm-hmm. and plays. Yeah, and he gets his tenth of a penny every time it streams. Or whatever. So, but yeah, it, uh, I thought that was one of the more interesting stats I'd heard related to music these days was that one. But, uh, <clears throat> dude, that was a solid episode. I'm done. Man. You, uh, the subscriber thing, we've talked about the subscriber thing. But I, that, like, but what you said, the movie studios stood up and said, we're not having it. Yeah. Like, the music industry did not stand up and say we're not having it. They tried, you know. They were losing too much money too fast, and the movie yeah. studios were losing so much money. Mm-hmm. Like, I know some people that worked in, in that industry. And that industry is the bigger of all of them. That they were kind of like, I, we don't really, you know, we're just, we've got to make the experience better for our customers that are here. Period. That's all we can focus on. Mm-hmm. You know? And ever since the internet age became a thing, disruptors were the companies that the ones that were true disrupt think about uber think mm-hmm. think about you know twitter facebook like all of these things that disrupted the the media and the the news industry and those types of things the internet just t- disrupting the television industry in general did i tell you i took an uber no i took an uber uh on vacation we needed a a, a ride and it was after shuttle hours and we're like crap well, did you so you signed up and got a free one was it your free one no we paid for it oh i uh i wasn't even worried don't about you that. get a free one for signing I, up? I don't know maybe <laughs> who knows all I, but it was so freaking easy and cool i'm not trying to be a spokesperson for uber but like, yeah you are uber but, contact us no i mean i'm not gonna like probably use it again unless i really hated we will take their money that's you're absolutely right but i was shocked at how cool it was like literally you put in where you want to go and then you just hit basically find a driver and then it goes here's to all these back here's phones. john he can be there in two minutes you want to go ahead and get him john yep. is actually sitting around the corner watching you with some binoculars right now <laughs> he'll be right around there it was just wild and then like it shows on a gps your driver the entire time so i'm sitting there i can look at my phone and see him coming down the road on my screen 
of his G- GPS of where his car is. And then when he gets there, I can see him literally pulling up and it says he's in this kind of car and it shows his picture and everything like that. So I know that's the guy. And, uh, yeah. And to pay him, you can just use your Apple pay on your phone. If you have Apple pay set up and it's just like, boop, 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 paid. You want to tip him how much? Bloop. Boom. Thanks, John. And you get out. You'd be like, bye, Hayden. No, actually the guy we had was from Columbia and man, I don't know if he was either trying to milk us for a tip, but he seemed so genuine. But man, he was just conversation, talking to us and talking about how uh, he was from Columbia. So uh, probably the first thing you think of is like drug cartel. He's like Escobar stabbed me in my kidneys once. No, like all of his brothers are dead. Oh my God. <laughs> like that kind of a story. We're like, oh my God. Like, dude, we're just wanting to ride. <laughs> you know? I sold you my know? kidney. Like I did, the guy took it out of my kidney, like out of, out of me in a bathtub. But like I mean, yeah, he was just telling wild stories and about losing his brothers and stuff like that, and Jesus. how he's so to much the ha- cartel. Yeah, and like he's so much happier being in America, <clears throat> and blah blah blah. How we crazy just, would it? We been were if, just like, man, if that was like a uh, uh, hangover type moment where the cartel burst in at that moment to kill him, and <laughs> we're just <laughs> where he's just telling you about it out of nowhere. Oh man, <laughs> but. I mean, yeah. So, like I said, I don't know if he was just trying to milk that tip or what, but it was. Uh, you guys get run off the our, road. Our by first the Uber experience was was I, I thought the technology was wild and cool and so easy and so this this guy was your driver mm-hmm. on your first Uber experience, and uh, there's at least a twenty. 25% chance that he could be being chased by the Colombian drug cartels. <laughs> and he just happens to be your driver. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I mean, if his this. brothers, if, okay, if there is an ounce of truth to what he's telling you, he's still being hunted by the Colombian cartels. <laughs> like to this day, if there's an ounce of truth, maybe, maybe, but I did think, you know, it, and the only reason I even went for the Uber, I even went to the taxi pool. Like, you know, there's every airport has a taxi pool you can go out to and look for a cab. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, hey, I need a ride. And no one was out there. Couldn't find anybody. There's a phone, <clears throat> like a taxi phone that you can pick up and call. Nobody picked up the phone. I was like, son of a bitch. Like, this is why y'all are getting killed by Uber. <laughs> like all these taxi companies that are pissed off because Uber's putting people out of business. Like have somebody here to pick me up and that won't be a problem. Taxi companies just took it for granted, man. Yeah. They took it for granted that people would wait 10 minutes to get picked up when instead of two or even know? answer the phone at all. Yeah. Like they would just <laughs> uh, go back and watch the old TV show taxi. Mm-hmm. And the joke that they make of the taxi company and the taxi service and all of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, uh, although it was a comedy show on television in the 70s, it still was, you know, anyway, yeah. uh, we could talk for hours. We went for over one. Just over. Just over one. But uh, let's wrap it up. Let's uh, say uh, sayonara. Toodaloo. Au revoir. I'll see you soon. Ciao. Ding dao day. Ding dao day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 53 53. of HYH, and we will catch you on the next one.